0: Blockheads, episode 16 of the New Blocks here. Today we're talking about scaling. Hopefully, you've had enough time to recover from the DeFi episode. We're going to try to keep this one a little bit shorter, a little more direct, because we know you had a lot to digest this week. And hopefully, you had a little bit of time to dive in and and get your toes wet, you know, put a couple bucks onto the blockchain. You know, maybe do a little liquidity mining, a little bit of staking. Maybe you bought a couple of sushi tokens. Who knows? Kevin, what sort of non-financial advice do we have to talk about today? Because none of it's financial advice. It's all educational. But I'm glad to be back with you again because I always learn something. Every time we sit down for one of these, I think I've read the notes. I think I know what you're going to talk about. And you always surprise me with something. You're full of little factoids, man.
1: I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, if if any of our listeners did get a chance to start poking around through DeFi last week, uh, they may have noticed that the cost to really interact with it, uh, to interact with Ethereum, start playing around with liquidity mining, buying NFTs, uh, the costs start to add up pretty quickly. Uh, when you when you are submitting transactions to Ethereum, you pay gas in ether, and um, regardless of what the price of ether is doing. Uh, at the moment, you you know you're still chipping away at your supply when you're yeah. when you're interacting with Ethereum. So today we're going to be talking about all the ways that the Ethereum community and the developers uh, and and the different teams that are working on trying to make those costs cheaper and eventually sort of approach zero longer term.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, like we've talked about this world, <coughs> excuse me, this world computer uh, of Ethereum and how it's not at its base level, not really designed to be efficient. It's designed to be secure, right? That's the trade off there. And if you think about one computer that's being shared by the world, it actually works pretty damn well, given how difficult of a target that is to hit. If you were to have like pitched me that idea when we were in college, uh, before blockchain was really popping off, right? Um, so now the next question is: We've set this base layer. We've established some groundwork. How do we build on top of this thing? What's the next level to the pyramid? Um, you know, we're going to talk about some of those scaling solutions today. You know, that the layer two. We've heard that uh, talked about a lot on social media right now, and uh, excited to break that down a little further. So where does it all start, man? What's our first step when it comes to scaling? And I guess we're not only gonna talk about Ethereum today, uh, we're also gonna talk a little bit about Bitcoin and some potential scaling solutions for that network as well.
1: Yeah, and it's because scaling is a pretty general concept in computer science and uh, you know, as a software engineer, it's something that I, I sort of think of my role uh, and my job is to um, always continue to increase the bandwidth for whatever it is i'm doing if you think about uh early internet right you uh are, are you've plugged into aol you heard all the crazy <laughs> garbage sounds coming out of your computer <laughs> and you get to a web page and you're seeing the image download and it's like line by line in- <laughs> right. filling in the pixels <laughs> oh my and gosh you're right yeah, and uh you know, early days internet your bandwidth was in the kilobytes uh and you every image that your computer was downloading was a, a really big deal. Um so the concept of like increasing scale is, is really just like bringing this to masses um and trying to increase the total supply of a thing. So when you're talking about improving the scaling of the internet, you are making it uh, easier faster Mm -hmm. to uh send larger and larger files around so we start with you know you can have images at first you start with just text right it's it's the the condensed information that we can send around to each other on the internet we start with just emails Mm -hmm. and then you eventually get pictures and then eventually you get videos and then eventually you get higher resolution videos you get virtual reality and suddenly you know the bandwidth is just so uh it it feels like a (laughs) The, the the challenges of yesterday are just like so so far gone and, and we're living in this world where like internet bandwidth is just so cheap yeah
0: and it's it's also um continuing to trend that way right like we're yeah. not averaging lower quality or like video size overall. I guess efficiency is still improving, so we're getting better quality uh, per size, but the quality is increasing so quickly. I mean, 4K is kind of established now. I've heard people talk about experimentation with 8K. I don't know what you would ever need that for or why you'd want to fill up a hard drive for the the movie, but you know somebody somewhere is like, bro, I got my 8K webcam right here. It sits on my shoulder. Like When I'm on the mountains, you can see everything. Um, It It's definitely there. And with blockchain, it's no different, dude. So um, is it just as simple as expanding block size? I mean, that's where it started, right? There's been so much history in the blockchain space fighting over block size. That's a key part of Bitcoin's history right there.
1: Yeah. And so there was back in the the, the Bitcoin era prior to Ethereum, there was the the block size uh, wars. And it was these online arguments about uh, the idea of potentially increasing the Bitcoin block size. Um, And you think about a blockchain, every time that you're adding a new block to the end of it, you're adding on more data. Mm -hmm. And there's a An upper limit to the amount of data that uh, any particular blockchain will allow for so that way you know you don't have people uploading their new 8k videos into the next block Um, and so the the reason why you would want to keep the that block size limit relatively low is that uh, in order to run a node on any given blockchain uh, you have to run a little computer Uh, with a hard drive attached to it. And if your blockchain is, you know, terabytes in size, the barrier to entry to running a node starts to increase. So you think about the difference between something like Bitcoin, which is like, I I haven't pulled up the numbers lately, but, you know, in the gigs uh, to be able to run a node, whereas an Ethereum node, because there's, you know, much more rich data that exists on the Ethereum network, it's a couple of terabytes now. Um, And so the block size debate, in the pre-Bitcoin days was uh, Bitcoin began to start to groan a bit. Uh, transaction fees were starting to go up. And people were wondering, like, well, what happens if we just you know, increase the block size? Uh, and so eventually, this argument was settled in a hard fork where some set of the miners decided to go download this new version of the Bitcoin code that would allow for larger block sizes. Um, and thus created the um, the Bitcoin Cash fork, mm-hmm. um, and what we ended up seeing was the version of Bitcoin that didn't make that change was the version that was continued to be adopted by the masses. So that's what we still right. call Bitcoin today. Yeah. Um, and the reason being that the Bitcoin community um, and you know most blockchain enthusiasts uh, are. Kind of of the mindset that the more you have to increase the block size of a blockchain, the less decentralized it becomes longer term. Just because the the cost to run a node just starts to skyrocket as you increase mm-hmm. block size.
0: Yeah. And that, that whole situation, um, I, I don't know. I, I remember listening to Vitalik talk about this on a couple of podcasts. And I, I think, I, I hope I've got this right because it starts to get a little political here, Kevin. Buckle your seatbelt but uh the way the the big block side panned out it felt like it got hijacked a little bit because I think there was a reasonable case of, yeah, sure, you can't make it too big, but do we have it necessarily set at the right number now? Doubling it does give us a little more breathing room and might still be within this reasonable threshold, right? I think that's the conversation a lot of people wanted to explore. Uh, and then it got taken over by the Bitcoin Cash folks, the Roger Veer crowd. And then a lot of the more reasonable voices didn't want to side with them, but then were left really without a side. It was the Bitcoin Cash became the big blockers. And then the, I guess, the Bitcoin OGs or the, the purists or whatever you want to call them, uh, became the small block guys. And those of us in the middle that were kind of like, I don't like either of these. I don't think either of these are the right solution. Damn it. Why can't we just compromise on the middle ground that makes more sense? We were left without a team. Uh, so Vitalik was, you know, we're, we're just over here on Ethereum kind of doing our thing in a totally different ball ballgame. Uh, is, is that an unfair uh, summary of the way that that panned out? Did I get it right?
1: Yeah, you got it right. And the reason why we ended up with the solution where there was these like very large blocks on one side and a do-nothing crowd on the other, the do-nothing crowd, uh, whether they realized it or not, uh, tapped into this like human psychology. uh, uh, There's a name for it. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on it, which is that um, it recognized that if you even, you know, increase it by 10 percent right mm-hmm. increase it by one percent if you set the precedence that you're willing to increase it at all uh you are opening up this debate to continue again and it's like again a pandora's again.
0: box thing
1: exactly so the okay. do nothing crowd sort of recognize that like yes maybe satoshi nakamoto didn't come up with the ideal uh Number of uh, uh, the ideal block size on day one, but if we start playing with that attribute, we are going to be having this argument very, so very often. The, they, so they we need value to scale immutable
0: above all, basically. That, yes. That's what that comes down to. Okay. Yes. All right.
1: And I mean, within the Bitcoin crowd, that resonated enough to be to see what we see now, which is you know this huge lion share of the of the um, nodes and the community. Consolidating around what we call Bitcoin and these like smaller fractal branches. Eventually Bitcoin Cash branched off into ABC and Satoshi's Vision and you know, <laughs> smaller and smaller communities that are about more and more nuanced. Oh my god. Oh Jesus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So expanding block size is clearly not the way that we move forward uh scaling ethereum and scaling blockchains so the next you know vision of how this might happen long term is this idea of of many different blockchains okay um, it's you know, a world where there's not just a single one. So
0: th- this is the Litecoin argument, right? This is very near and dear to my heart. The silver to Bitcoin's gold. The the easy onboard, the faster, uh, basically like the guaranteed beta test network for Bitcoin, as it turns out. And they, they have carved out, weirdly enough, a little niche for themselves. I have lost more money on Litecoin than I've made. And they were my on-ramp into crypto. And it's because I've misread it so many times. I was bullish on it when, uh, you know, Charlie sold. Uh, so that was that was a mistake. And um, I was bearish on it uh, during this last market bull run where I didn't necessarily think Litecoin would follow suit with everything else. Um, so it does seem like there is some merit to this, but um, at, at the same time, the deeper I fall into the eth- Ethereum uh, network, the, the more I feel confirmed and like, I, I don't really know what Litecoin's future is, you know? And there's there's a lot of other versions of, you know, Bitcoin is to Litecoin as Litecoin is to, you know, a bunch of others in tiers below that, like Vertcoin and, you know, all, all these kinds of things. Um, and it does make you wonder what is gonna happen to them um, is there a place for silver and bronze and various other earthly metals that uh, don't really matter so much in those sort of analogies?
1: (laughs) It's hard to say because right on the pros, you have this, this path forward to scaling where you sort of like fragment the use cases of crypto. So it's easy to talk about when we're doing, uh, you know, Bitcoin versus Litecoin. It gets a little more challenging when you're talking about the Ethereum uh, or sorry, like the smart contract platform world. But you, you scale it by fragmenting the use case where if you want the the most robust, most secure currency, you've got Bitcoin. And if you're just moving money around to go pay your friends, uh, you've got stuff that you know may not be as secure, may not have the same number of miners mm-hmm. um, uh, that are running the network, but you've got way, way cheaper fees uh, and you've got sort of the ability to use it more day to day. But it's it's still like... The biggest con here is that uh, you are breaking apart the se- kind of like most important and most limited resource of blockchains, which is the the security um, the the nodes. You're you're breaking apart and you're making them compete together. So you're running a piece. You're running a node. What are you going to run? Uh, you've got this whole like spectrum of different blockchains right. with different uh, adoption within them, and essentially like you, your blockchain, if it's a smart contracts platform, you need to convince miners to run your node, you need to convince developers to build apps that integrate with your blockchain, you need uh, th- those apps to then, you know, convince users to go use the the blockchain. And so th- it's this network effect that you're fighting against uh, these like bigger established players where this like multi blockchain future, uh, I don't, it doesn't, doesn't seem like the the most logical way forward it is a little clunky and that's not to say that like you know there's only ever going to be one or two blockchains like there's it it, like you mentioned you know litecoin's still surprisingly kicking around and like who knows maybe maybe there is this sort of like well all of the things work yeah
0: it is more practical right i have bought and sold multiple l3 litecoin miners okay because that's been i we don't need to go down this rabbit hole but we could do a whole episode on litecoin where i'd be happy to go deep on the really weird tokenomics of it since they started merge mining with dogecoin and like Dude, it's actually kind of interesting. Uh, that ended yeah. up being uh, a really big boon to the Litecoin economy. So uh, there hasn't been a lot of new hardware made. So the same L3s that I bought in like 2019 are still mm-hmm. kicking now and more profitable than ever because who's make, Bitmain's not making hardware for the Litecoin network because they also predicted it to sort of go by the wayside. Um, and it hasn't, especially like who would have predicted the resurgence of Dogecoin? I mean, come on, man. That's, that's some like once in a lifetime kind of a thing. Um, It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. But every time I've done it, when people are like, well, how do you want to be paid? Bitcoin or Litecoin or whatever else? All things equal, Litecoin's pretty damn easy. It's way faster than Bitcoin. The fees are way lower and it's accepted in basically all the same exchanges. Every time I've been able to just get it right on Coinbase, turn it into Bitcoin, turn it into cash, turn it into Ethereum, whatever the hell you want to do. I've never been disappointed with a Litecoin transaction and I've used Litecoin for like large transactions. The first miner I bought was thousands of dollars. So um, it is practical, even though it's easy to, to kind of poo-poo in theory um, when you're actually out there using it. I mean, have you ever bought something with Bitcoin and then sat there and waited for six confirmations before the person gives you the thing out of escrow to confirm it? It's actually a painfully long amount Ski of time. Here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Um,
0: I mean, I learned that one the hard way. A really old piece of mining equipment, I bought the first one. And I just, you're sitting there with a guy just like,
1: man, only three out of six, huh? It's been an (laughs) hour and a half. Fuck. Yeah. And if you're trying to buy anything larger than, you know, a keyboard or a cup of coffee, you're going to want to wait even longer uh, just to really be sure. And yeah, 10 minute block time is is just painful. Yeah, I I mean, even on the the smart contracts platform side, we still see this um, sort of like fragmentation of, uh, we had mentioned the term like Ethereum killers in the um, in the altcoins episode. We talked about stuff like EOS, mm-hmm. Tezos, Solana, Binance Smart Chain, uh, Nier, Tron, Cardano, Algorand. These are all, there's so many of them, and there's like a long tail curve. There's like even newer ones like Terra, Luna, Avalanche, Thor, Chain. And so like uh, there is still clearly people that hold this vision of like okay like maybe we can do maybe ethereum will be the the main layer and maybe there's like room for these others that like could potentially establish a niche in different areas but i mean for me like just given how much uh time i can spend learning about blockchain as much as i wish i could expand that uh to just be infinity i can't realistically uh, put enough effort into like every single one of these to yeah. know like what is actually solving interesting problems, what's establishing a niche um, and like what's going to be able to fight the network effects of, of such an established player like Ethereum. Um, and so far, I, I really haven't seen anything that's that's interested me yeah. in that way. Well,
0: and, and we're also just seeing this pattern of like developers, developers, developers. And within this decentralized ecosystem, there is still a pretty organic amount of centralization among the developers because developers want to go where other developers are because then there's more support for that ecosystem that's going to happen no matter what you do um you know that so there, there's some it's hard to imagine all of these i guess what i'm stumbling to say is diminishing returns kevin uh tldr yeah. there you know each additional ethereum killer feels like it's harder and harder to see it actually being an ethereum killer <laughs>
1: Yeah. I mean, as a software engineer myself, like I can tell you, I've, I've put the effort into learning solidity and that gives me access to the largest group of users of other application developers, uh, of, of real infrastructure that exists, applications I can tie into, Mm -hmm it's not worth it for me to go take the time now and like go learn the necessary uh, smart contracts platform on Solana or Cardano or, or any of these other ones just because it's like, I, I'm okay. I think I, uh, I'm i going to go ahead and just put my, put my, uh, go go put my eggs in the Ethereum basket when it comes to, you know, what I'm willing to learn as as a developer. Right. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, all right, what do we have next in terms of scaling solutions here?
1: Yeah, so the next vision here, and and, uh, as I'm talking through all these different, I'm calling them visions just because these are like different approaches to scaling, but these don't necessarily have to be mutually exclusive. We can kind of, I'm foreseeing a a world where, you know, some elements of these different solutions may survive, some Mm. elements may not. Okay. Uh, But so the next vision of, of a world where we can scale blockchains is this idea of like a meta protocol. Um, and again, we we chatted a, very briefly in the altcoins episode about a couple, um, but Cosmos and Polkadot share this vision, and it's a essentially a protocol of protocols. Uh, if you think about a blockchain, similar to the way that you think about um, like HTTP as as this protocol that we use to like send internet requests, uh, you know, we use TCPIP to know how to like package data across the network. Um, a blockchain is just another protocol in that way. So mm-hmm. you have software that can, as long as it can speak this language, then, you know, whatever machine, whatever language you're working with um, can work with it. So a protocol of protocols would be one where we abstract, we, we create abstractions of concepts within the blockchain ecosystem. Things like blocks, um, things like uh, consensus mechanisms, mm-hmm. uh, and we create these abstractions to where there is this like more um, generalized language that you would use to be able to create your blockchain that you want to use for selling your Petrock application or another blockchain that, you know, maybe one we you have over here, it's like optimized very well for a particular programming language. Mm-hmm. It, it wants to use like proof of stake. Um, and then this other one, you can just like spin up this other application uh, blockchain that uh, has completely swapped out its consensus mechanism. It has a totally different concept for how it organizes blocks. Um, and so it's essentially the, the, this idea of a world where instead of having all of these different blockchains that are competing for security resources, competing for node operators, we could have this meta protocol language that allows for all the expressive expressivity of uh the like w- different types of blockchains that want to exist in the world, but as long as they all can speak this meta protocol language, you can actually pool the security resources and have a single node that is capable of running all of these different blockchains.
0: Okay, i I think that makes sense. I'm picturing it's like, a bit more
1: complicated it, than the previous visions. It,
0: it's like this web where it has all these different interfaces that can talk to all these different blockchains that have all these different protocols. And that web comes into, like, a central source, and that central source is the connection of all these blockchains that can now kind of talk to each other. It's like a, a network for the network, almost. Yeah, um, and, yeah. And,
1: the, and the the big pro, the big win, and the big reason why this vision exists is that the fact that your blockchains don't need to compete with each other and you can just have this single layer that exists and and to a degree that's what ethereum is doing by building this platform yes there's only a single blockchain in ethereum land but it's this open platform where anyone can build on top of mm-hmm. and you don't need to compete in a same sense in a in a similar sense you could think of cosmos and polka dot um as like Trying to go for that vision, uh, but just implementing it in a slightly different, slightly more complicated way. And that's kind of where you get into the cons. This is a, this is a, a bit more complicated. It's going to yeah. require the same sorts of network effects that Ethereum had to, had to go through in order to like establish a following and find people to build stuff for it. Totally.
0: Um, sounds like really cool in theory and very difficult in real life uh that that's yeah. uh, i guess sort of the summary there but very interesting uh, i've seen polka dot and cosmos talked about a lot so that that's good to have some context there um so so what do we have next i guess now we're starting to get into like payment channels and stuff like that that's designed for merchants and commerce and um relatively trusted fast transactions and by trusted i mean it's like a storefront that has some sort of you know, a, a company or brand behind it that's a little bit centralized. And generally, the, the transactions are coming from customers that are buying products. And kind of like how PayPal, if your account is in good standing, they give you a little more leeway if somebody wants to request a return or a refund or something like that versus if you have a, a bunch of dings on your account. Um, so yeah, what, what do we got going on in the payment world?
1: Yeah. So this concept of a payment channel or a broader concept of a state channel is one where you have a network that is separate from the blockchain network. So in uh, the Bitcoin world, you have the lightning network Mm -hmm. and it is a way to be able to send Bitcoin around uh, quicker, uh, you know, more efficiently, cheaper. Um, And the way that it does this, you think about I I like this example. uh, I've used it before. Uh, you hang out, you go to the bar and you want to get a drink. Uh, you hand them your card. They have it, um, uh, you know, on, they'll hold it back there. And every time that you go up and ask for another drink, they're not swiping the card and like going through the payment processor every time. Um, they are sort of like keeping the tally on this ad- additional, in this case, additional network, but in their own computer. Uh, and that doesn't have the same constraints as actually going through the payment process processor, actually submitting the transaction to the Bitcoin blockchain. And so it's this uh, version of scaling where you can do pretty basic payments uh, in this like really fast and scalable way where you know after you've had a few drinks and you're ready to close it out, uh, you can just go ahead and get your card back and you're sending one transaction that, ex- that sort of like bundles a whole series of different transactions within it. Um, and where this concept gets interesting is this like somewhat more complex explanation. Um, but now imagine that you could take all of your own, uh, your your bar tab with yourself and the barkeeper. And then that barkeeper is, uh, has, you know, maybe uh, they've established a payment channel with you. Um, maybe I owe you a beer um, and I could, you know, ask the the bartender to um, do some sort of a transaction where like my uh, tab includes one of your beers and you can create this like this entire network of of payment channels where these different nodes are connected to different uh, different users that all are trying to send money to each other. Um, and you can have this whole world where you're sending around these fully valid Bitcoin transactions that at no point do you ever uh, have to drop them down to the base layer and actually submit them up until the very end. But if you are always holding on to a a signed Bitcoin transaction that you know for a fact that you can always go and redeem it on the base layer, you can actually just hold on to that on the the Lightning Network. Hmm. Um, And so you can think of this as this like really quick and scalable version of Bitcoin that gives you the assurance that at any point you can go take this back to the base layer and redeem it for the underlying Bitcoin. um,
0: so it's kind of like that, almost a batching type concept where you say, hey, I, I love that bar example. You give them the credit card, and then at the end of the night, they do one transaction of $50 instead of 10 transactions of five for all the beers that you bought. Um, this is sort of the same concept where the store says, hey, here's all my transactions for the day, let's just say, you know, yeah. uh, conceptually speaking, and at the end of the day, they double check it and go okay yep that's good that's accurate and then all that gets pushed in one big transaction um, in like one fell swoop so that way it's way less fees per transaction on average rather than doing them one at a time is is that the general concept
1: yeah that's right and then okay. the, the only additional layer on top of it is that that bar is then connected to all of these other e-commerce uh you know uh, different companies that have the ability to then go settle up between them so that bar could use this this um mechanism to go pay their distributors uh or pay for their like restaurant equipment and so all of this then connects to each other and just creates this big network where you're sending all this money around and at no point is anyone really required to to go submit that into the blockchain unless they really want to
0: okay okay now that sounds really awesome, but I, I love this note that we've got here that just shows the scale difference here. Because uh, in terms of Bitcoin, um, one of the the things that you can do with it, besides just having it sit there, is turn it into wrapped Bitcoin, right? We've talked about wrapped Ethereum before. It's just this one to one. What did we call it? Is it a, a pegged coin? It's not exactly a stable coin. It's it's
1: yeah yeah it's closer i think i I would think of it as like a peg um yeah where it's like you know you pass it through this uh mechanism where uh if you want to send a bitcoin to the ethereum network so you can do stuff with with it Mm -hmm. like on DeFi, you can pass it through and it will lock up a bitcoin on the bitcoin network and it will mint a um a wrapped Bitcoin on Ethereum. Yeah, and so there's a bunch of different like one-to-one ones. One-to-one
0: collateralized, doing. and it's like just, uh, yep. yeah, And you, so you can redeem it at any time. Um, so in terms of adoption, though, there's 1,800 Bitcoin uh, worth of value on the Lightning Network and 254,000 Bitcoin worth of value on the Ethereum Network. So, um, like, that, that's a lot of zeros, man. That, that's more than 100x. Yeah, yeah that, that's... Yeah. Uh, Oof. so that yeah
1: and that yeah that that's leads to where i again similar to the um to the protocol of protocols approach. I like the vision of the Bitcoin Lightning Network and just, you know, of payment channels in general. Mm-hmm. But there is some complexity with setting that up. And I think that complexity seems to be a big enough barrier to entry that we are just not seeing anywhere near that adoptions. Like you said, I think it is like, yeah, like 250 X of like Bitcoin on Ethereum <laughs> and and through various projects. There's other ones aside from Wrapped Bitcoin. There's like RenBTC, uh, sbtc yeah. bunch of them but regardless it seems at this point that bitcoin is scaling on ethereum it is not scaling on the bitcoin lightning network and as much as i would want it to Ironic. have its own scaling solution um it doesn't seem to be panning out that way I- i'm happy to change my mind happy to like get excited again when e- the lightning network if it takes off but it's not really what we're seeing right now
0: Yes, Kevin. He could save others from death, but not himself. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I feel that. All right. Well, let's get to the next one.
0: Yeah. So plasma side chains. This is cool stuff. Uh, this is uh, getting into more contemporary times and real, like, faster scaling solutions.
1: Yeah. So uh, side chain is a concept that. Uh, often gets confused with uh, the the following bucket that we'll talk about, which is uh, Layer 2s. But a sidechain is another blockchain that exists. You can think of it on the side of of an existing blockchain, uh, like Ethereum is a good example, Mm -hmm. uh, that has a few different popular sidechains. And the way that it works, similar to the way that we just talked through wrapped Bitcoin, having this mechanism to like send it to a different network, you have this additional blockchain that you send some ether over and it creates wrapped ether on this blockchain that doesn't use the same uh, nodes. So you still need new node providers. Um, that are running new software. So, you you know, you got to go through the same bootstrapping network effects process. But you get some pretty huge efficiency uh, improvements from this. Um, I I think for some examples here, uh, something like 7,000 transactions per second um, when Polygon was doing their testnet was the last time I checked versus 14 transactions per second on (laughs) the ethereum base layer so you can essentially have the version of you know you you take a clone of ethereum you make it uh so that people can use this clone of ethereum increase the the speed uh you know huge bandwidth improvement much cheaper um and it it's because of this this two-way peg concept where you you lock up the eth in the in the ethereum side and then you go mint it on on the sidechain side and then vice versa you burn it on the sidechain that right. will go ahead and unlock it on on the base layer
0: um this is pretty solid right this of all the scaling solutions we've talked about this by far sounds like the most practical thus far correct yeah like and we're I mean, actually that's, that's seeing the- this in practice right now like that that's kind yeah. of what you just described is the basis of the polygon value proposition
1: yeah. Yeah, and Polygon's not the only one. I mean, XDai has been around for a bit. Uh it, it is a sidechain specifically for Dai, the the US dollar stablecoin. Um but uh even Ronin um is a sidechain, so it follows this model uh, of being mm. this like separate network that can really increase bandwidth and capacity. And I know for from an Axie perspective, that's that's a must.
0: Yeah. No, totally. And with with Ronin, like the key thing is having a bridge where you can send stuff back and forth. And that's where again this clone of Ethereum comes into play. Uh, and in the case of uh, Ronin, it also has it kind of doubles as like what would be MetaMask. So it's a, a wallet that lets you interface with stuff that also has its own uh, side chain, which is um, closer to its unique value proposition. So in the Axie case, that scaling solution is a uh, hey, we need to rebuild all of the basic infrastructure specific to our gaming needs because most of these tools were built for more practical applications, not necessarily gaming. And uh, being able to control that sort of foundation layer uh, from a software perspective uh, is pretty powerful for scaling on our side. So yeah, Ronan, I think... Right now, it feels a little bare bones, but once there's like an Axie Infinity DEX, a, a decentralized exchange, um, the the Ronin, you know, like browser plugin and the whole sidechain concept will uh, really, really uh, come into focus. Yeah. Um, um,
1: and I think that, okay. that kind of leads us to uh, we've got two more here. The, the last one's pretty quick. Layer two is this concept of you take this concept of a sidechain. You move it on top of the other blockchain. Um, the, the main difference here uh, is that a sidechain is its own separate network that has its own security resource, its own set of nodes that uh, you are putting your trust into to run the network. Mm-hmm. A Layer 2 solution, uh, a Layer 2 network, utilizes the, the security layer of Layer 1, of the Ethereum blockchain, um, and is able to essentially leverage that so that you aren't required to put trust into this other smaller uh, network uh, of validators okay. and, and can sort of, um, so, you know, utilize all of this, this work that's going into proof of work and proof of stake on layer one.
0: So, sidechains are like a clone. And because they're a clone, they can easily talk to Ethereum, but you're cloning everything. So, you're also like mimicking the security protocol, which means you got to run nodes, you got to find validators, you got to have proof of work or proof of stake or some sort of consensus mechanism to secure your your sidechain is its own blockchain. Ethereum's a blockchain. You have another blockchain that just works similarly to Ethereum. A layer two takes Ethereum. And then just builds another layer on top of it and it uses the Ethereum like security protocols, the logins, so to speak, um, and all the security mechanisms. It's not reinventing the wheel the same way a sidechain is. So, like, they, they feel similar, but they're actually pretty different in like their fundamental uh, mechanisms.
1: Yeah. It, okay. So, most of the layer twos that I hear about that are uh, being worked on use this concept called a roll up. And a roll up, is simply put, imagine you're, you're rolling up your sleeping bag at the end of your uh, your, your sleepover with your friends and you're, you're trying to compress that as much as possible. Um, you think of this in a blockchain sense and you take as many transactions as you can that would otherwise be individual blockchain transactions on layer one. You roll them all up together and you compress the data you submit a single transaction into layer 1 that may have thousands of transactions uh on layer 2 and now you have this like huge scalability uh and efficiency increase that you know has the same fingerprint well, as just that, one so that sounds kind
0: of like lightning network when you put it that way
1: in a in the sense that it is yes it is like compressing the need to have many different transactions now it's all just down to one and really at the end of all things this is the long-term vision of the ethereum base layer today when you and i are hanging out uh on layer one we sort of have a luxury that will not always be the case uh, because we can afford it right now. It's not ridiculous. It's like five bucks to go submit a transaction to go send money on a, on layer one. That won't always be the case. As soon as we start to like have more and more use cases, uh, layer one will likely be for layer two roll up transactions. Like that is probably more so what that's, that layer one is going to be. Just all these very compressed uh, data transactions that, that, uh, that are all kind of like leveraging the security of layer one. I mean, that, that kind of makes sense when you,
0: you said that the Ethereum blockchain is terabytes earlier. Um, that, that's sort of humbling, I I guess, in terms of how, like there's acceleration to the amount of data that people want to put into the blockchain. So that means we have to have acceleration in terms of scaling, um, hopefully faster on the scaling side so that we're, we're making a dent in how efficient the network is. Um, so talk to me about these optimistic roll-ups. I know we talked about this before the show started, but I've already forgotten what their key difference is.
1: Yeah, so there's two types of roll-ups that are sort of being thrown around in the Layer 2 world. There's both optimistic and ZK rollups. Uh, the main differentiator is the math that gets used. Uh, it, it's not worth going into too much detail, but maybe just to talk about what how the user experience changes. With an optimistic roll-up, it uses this math called a fraud proof. Um, and with a fraud proof, uh, when you are submitting... A transaction when you're taking your uh layer two, you've got some money up here and you want to bring it back down to layer one. Uh, you have like a seven day wait period, it's d- different depending on the network, but there's the wait period here where uh, a validator can go look at all the transactions and, and try to detect fraud in that way. So it's called optimistic because it's like let's assume good intent and then have this process that this like court system that allows us to be able to like catch fraud if it does occur okay um i, I think there's a good example of like you don't go to court uh to cash a check you go to court if the check bounces so you don't need uh like this really uh you don't need every transaction on layer one you don't need this like uh huge um like entire network to scrutinize your transaction. Like you, you really just need it to find these cases of, of fraud. Uh, whereas ZK rollups, ZK stands for zero knowledge. Uh, zero knowledge is is this concept in um, in the math world where you're interacting with stuff uh, without necessarily needing to know the specifics of it. But again, without going to a ton of detail here, the main differentiator is that ZK rollups do not have this same uh, wait period. Uh, it uses what's called validity proofs, and um, for that reason, it's a bit of a of, of a better trade-off uh, in terms of like of simplicity and efficiency. Um, but it's a bit more complicated, um, and therefore the um, the optimistic rollups that we're seeing that are coming out right now are are kind of a lot closer, a lot farther along than some of the uh, EVM compatible ZK rollups. So on the right. optimistic side, we have Arbitrum and Optimism. Both of these are, are pretty big projects. I think uh, um, Uniswap just launched on Optimism this week. Uh, both of these are in kind of a beta mode to a degree, but they are pretty, pretty dang close. Uh, whereas the ZK rollups, there's a, there's another subset within ZK rollups where there's like a, a primitive version of a ZK rollup where you could do kind of like basic, you know, payment channel type, basic sends and, and exchanges and stuff. But a full EVM compatible Ethereum virtual machine like version of a ZK rollup is is pretty far out. I think ZK Sync 2.0 is one example of this, um, but I don't really have Still a timeline on what that looks like. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I think those simple analogies that you you have here really help tie this together. Like you don't go to court to cash a check. You only go to court if the check bounces. Um, there, there are some like general assumptions where at face value, you want to say, well, if you don't check everyone, won't people just abuse it with fraud? But when you think about the general like social consensus mechanism that exists in most other aspects of our lives, especially like in financial sectors, we we do assume uh, some trust at certain parts in the system because it's overall more efficient and dealing with some of the fraud retroactively and creating punishments and disincentives and whatever ends up being a net more efficient system than you know having a court verify every check, I guess, would be sort of the ZK roll-up strategy, right? Yeah. Um, yeah,
1: no, I, I think that makes sense. And I mean, I think both of these roll-ups are kind of seen as the um like the longer term approach to where things are going just given the fact that it, or just maybe layer two solutions in general are, are kind of seen as a bit uh safer than uh a side chain for that reason um mm-hmm. and you know therefore that's why the the difference is that the complexity that comes with it is sort of like what's pushing these projects to, right. to take longer
0: so uh, the very last one here, uh, sharding. Uh, this is a really cool concept, and this is the idea where you take the, the big blockchain and then you break it into pieces, right? So you take one blockchain and break it into like 64 mini blockchains, then random validators are assigned different parts, a.k.a. a single shard of the chain they verify that then the network pieces them all together kind of like BitTorrenting style is almost how you could picture it um and then the whole network at large can paint the picture of the entire blockchain but no single node is storing the entire thing at any given time um so i i think overall like that is a great scaling solution that could work for ethereum uh, and other blockchains where um, I, is there a downside to it? Is there like a, a catch to sharding? Because I, I I can't really Not think of really, one. Not really,
1: other than just complexity, uh, and that's sort of what is. Uh, so sharding is part of the Ethereum 2.0 upgrade. It, it is uh, a phased upgrade for that for that reason. It's just a very complicated process, um, and so. It's one of these things, though, that like it's going to start with 64 shards, but it's a number that can be semi-easily changed. Changed once that has been implemented, so mm-hmm. we can kind of treat scale, uh, treat sharding as like a, a maybe safer uh, way to like scale layer one than the the um, the multi-blockchain vision that we were talking about earlier. Um, final note, before we get into lightning round, I really, uh, I think of scaling as more of a journey than a destination. I think it's easy to think of, uh, on the back to the internet analogy, like, uh, we're not going to be just done scaling the internet, right? Like now that <laughs> we have the ability to like stream 4k, you've got people that want to be able to stream 8k. Yeah. Um, and maybe it, it doesn't make sense to us now, but maybe when we get to that point where it's just so cheap, we can start to do things like stream a, uh, a you know, two 4K images in a bubble uh, to create this like 360 degree camera, uh, and you can have like uh, this entire virtual world where people have like you know you start coming up with ideas. Developers like to come up with ideas. <laughs> they like to use whatever constraints they have and, and just keep pushing it. And so as soon as there's like new uh, bandwidth in Ethereum, that just opens up new use cases that developers are going to yeah. try to fill that that gap. And we're going to have to keep coming back to the drawing board and figuring out what's the next layer of scaling, what's the next uh, way that we can, you know, start to alleviate some of these transaction fees.
0: Yeah. No, totally. Again, a perfect analogy. We're never going to be done scaling the internet, and this is just the, the next version of that. So um, the the needle moves, I guess, as they say. But Let's do some lightning round. Uh, This has already been another long episode. So I I think we've only got a couple here. But um, Kevin, if we end up with a bunch of different layer two solutions, won't we start losing the the composability of DeFi, sort of that diminishing return aspect that we talked about earlier? Doesn't that have the same issue as the multi-chain solution at a certain point?
1: Yeah, in the short term, totally true. We're looking at um, with new layer twos with optimism rolling out, um, you know, Uniswap exists on optimistic Ethereum, but it doesn't exist over in uh, Polygon. And so we're starting to see this kind of fragmentation that is occurring. Um, And in a short term sense, uh, that sort of does come at odds with the composability of DeFi. DeFi is interesting When you have these money Legos that you can just tie into each other, everything sort of like speaks the same language. It's on the same network. uh, And you can just connect everything. When you start to introduce new layers and these layers don't talk to these layers, um, that starts to fall apart. What's interesting is that uh, that I anticipate we're going to move to a place where we start connecting these layer twos together. So there's one project I found that was trying to do this called Connext. Uh, c-o-n-n-e-x-t and its goal (laughs) is to be the glue between layer twos between these different scaling solutions so i anticipate it'll be you know it's going to get worse before it gets better but then we'll get to a world where you can kind of just like go submit your ethereum transaction Mm -hmm. and it's just going to bounce around through all these different uh layers and all these different like sub networks and figure out what the best place is for for the thing that you're trying to do. It's always uh, so meta
0: with you though. You're basically just describing urine for layer twos after we have a <laughs> yeah. polka dot for the layer two scaling solutions. You know, like yeah. it's just layers upon layers of scaling. So some of those concepts that didn't work for layer one scaling might work to tie the layer twos together. And then that opens up a whole yeah. nother web of efficiency.
1: I think payment channels are actually a great example of that where payment channels, you know, maybe things aren't working out with the lightning network. But like that's a cool technology that could be used as a as a glue between different networks, because all you need to do is just have an efficient way to send value between two places. You don't necessarily need full uh, smart contract compatibility to like exist in that glue area. Mm -hmm. Um, All right. One more for you, buddy. We're going to wrap this thing up. What does layer three look like? I, I
0: know now we're getting like super far into the future a lot of layer two isn't even implemented yet but like where are we going with all this what what does scaling look like? Are you about to hit me with some theory of unlimited energy unlimited data <laughs> and the future of humanity like like where are we going?
1: yeah uh, it's it's hard to say uh, because yeah as you mentioned we're still building layer two what does like what does the end state of layer two look like before we start bumping into the same, bandwidth issues that we're hitting on layer one and eventually hit on layer this two this is like
0: 1995 and i'm asking you what web 3.0
1: looks like and you're like <laughs> kind i of, don't know dude yeah. gifs are like, pretty uh, cool <laughs> like they, they kind of load right yeah exactly so I, I think it's it's a bit too soon to tell uh like if and what a layer two will look like or uh what it'll be oh, sorry a layer three uh, what it will be for um but i do kind of anticipate The way that we are scaling between layer one and layer two is this, you think of like a fractal where um, on on layer one, everything is like, you know, the most expensive. But as soon as you hop to layer two, uh, it's like orders of magnitude cheaper, orders of magnitude faster. um, And it kind of like spins off into this like fractal where you you can... um, have uh, like all of this extra bandwidth here. So if we do get to this layer 3 world, um, you know, I could foresee a situation where you have that same sort of uh efficiency like order of magnitude increase in bandwidth uh that that could exist off of like you roll up your transactions into layer 1, plop it on layer 2, and then maybe there's this like additional layer where you like roll up those transactions and go into a layer 3, but I'm just speculating at this point. Uh, It's it's pretty soon. It's pretty early to to try to figure out what that looks like. It's
0: pretty cool though that we have so much uh, theory still to implement to see where this stuff goes. Like that's what makes me so excited and bullish overall. It's not like we've hit a wall and the limitations of current blockchain tech are just like. Yeah, I don't know. We're gonna need some really creative young guns. Like, no, people have come up with some really cool ideas. We're in the process of building and implementing these ideas. It's just new and challenging and taking a lot of time to build. But uh, as we brought up a a number of times, like Ethereum 2.0 is right around the corner. I I mean, it's we had said months ago that by the end of the year is what we were hoping for, and I think that timeline's been moved up even more, right? I mean, we might have an ETH 2.0 episode in like a matter of weeks here. Um, and that represents the pinnacle of scaling in terms of, you know, the the second biggest blockchain in the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to definitely cover it before that merge happens. Um, I, I, and I think their timeline is still, you know, sometime before end of the year. There's another really big uh, update that I want to get to and talk about before it happens um, in August called EIP 1559. So maybe we'll try to jump True. into that at some that also- point. Yeah. Um, but there, there's a lot of really cool uh, efficiency improvements that are coming, uh, and that's that's what I'm here for. We're
0: going to save the world, and we're going to save the planet along with it, Kevin. It's just taken us a little bit of time to get ahead of the curve there, but uh, it's happening yep. slowly but surely. Um, all right, buddy. Well, that's another one complete. Um, thank you so much. Appreciate you, Kevin. Appreciate y'all. Appreciate all y'all at home listening and watching. Thank you so much for your support. Uh, appreciate any kind of reviews, likes, comments. We want to hear from you. Any thoughts or questions? If you're confused at all or you have any uh, additional lightning round questions, hit us in the comments. We're paying attention and we'll try to hit you back with the best answer that we can. But uh, until next time, enjoy the blockchain world because we'll be back again with more.
1: See y'all.